all know uh, how much uh, your pastor means to me. And he is one of the most important people in the world to me. And my life is better because he is in it. Um, he knows this because I've told him this privately. I'm not one of these people who only compliments in public. I'm really not. But uh, I do want, I want to say it publicly. And you are being led by a very amazing man. So thank you, Pastor Jordan. Thank you, Danielle. Thank you for the opportunity to be with you. Two shameless plugs before we get started. Um, one is the, uh, my website, mattministry.com. It's from Monumental Ministries. That's the name of the ministry that we have uh, based on the Old Testament concept of they would stack rocks sometimes or they would build an altar when God did something significant or they would change the name of a place. And it was done as a memory trigger so that you could revisit those places. And uh, the Lord wants those landmarks in our life because if you're like me, I forget things and I get lost in the drama of the moment. And so this ministry is about facilitating moments like that in people's lives. And uh, you can go to the website and check out what's there. I have six books for sale, uh, including a Christmas book that I wrote a few years ago. And if you need a good Christmas story for the season, um, I invite you to look at The Art of Christmas. That's the name of the book. You can also get it on Amazon. Um, one more thing is I've started a, a podcast a couple of years ago. And uh, we are focused on talking to creative Christians, uh, Christians who really see themselves kind of as artists or at least budding artists. And, uh, you know, often in church, I've been in the art world and I've been in the church world. Sometimes those two worlds don't mix too well and we don't really speak each other's language. So we try to span that bridge on the mat cast. That's one word. Uh, and we hit that from many different uh, angles. The most recent episode aired this week called The Three A's of Creativity. And you can get all that for free on the platform of your choice. A five-star rating and review is wonderfully accepted. If you don't want to do five stars, forget everything I just said. <laughs> Today we're going to turn our attention to the story in the book of Jonah. So if you have a copy of the scriptures with you, we're going to head to Jonah chapter 1. We're going to remain in Jonah 1 for the entirety of the message, and I'll be in and out of that scripture. So if, uh, electronically, if you're there in Jonah, or if you have old school print, that's where we'll be. I think there's a question that every Christian secretly wants to know. It's not one that we voice out loud very often, maybe ever. That question is, am I in the will of God? You know, the will of God can seem like this really mysterious thing out there. You're like, I just want to be in his will. And you're like, yes, absolutely. But it seems like this nebulous thing out there somewhere. So maybe you've been asking that question, am, am I in the will of God? Well, here's the short answer. The short answer is, if you are in Jesus and with Jesus, you are in the will of God. Let's not make this harder than it needs to be. Uh, if you are walking this thing out with Jesus, you're in his will. So let's bring the worship team back and let's wrap this up and we'll get you home for the pregame show. Uh, the same God who called you and saved you, equips you, and accompanies you on your journey. So we can be very confident that he's going to get us where we need to go. Now, we can either do this the easy way 
or the hard way. So I want you to imagine a scenario, if you would, for just a, a couple of minutes. Imagine that you, you are headed out on a flight to Los Angeles. And if you're like me and you're really bad at those online reservation things, you end up on the back row of the airplane up against the bathroom and your seat has absolutely no give to it whatsoever. And, uh, and you know that this is not going to be the most comfortable ride of your life. But still, you're trying to mentally prepare for the next few hours. And you, you have a, a book in the seat pocket in front of you and your phone has music on it. You've got your earbuds, your headphones. You're ready to go. And that's when you notice him. He's walked onto the plane and he's headed down the row. He's a jittery guy. He is sweating profusely. He's carrying a backpack that looked like it had been jammed with stuff at the last minute. In fact, part of a sleeve is tucking through the backpack. Obviously, the zipper had, had kind of gotten in the middle of that whole thing. And you're looking at him and you're wondering, is this his first time flying? And then you're thinking, if he ends up next to me, am I going to have to be his life coach for the next four hours? And sure enough, he keeps heading your way. And he puts his backpack in the overhead bin and he plops down on the seat next to you. And you think, oh boy, here we go. So you just kind of turn and look out the window, if you're like me, and you send out all those signals that you want to talk. Come on, it's okay, introverts, come on, you're with me, right? It's all right. And you're like, I'm just not going to send any signal that I want to engage with this person. And you're just like in your own little happy place. And that's when you feel him jabbing you with his elbow. And with the music playing in your headphones, you hear, hey, hey. And you go, yes? And he says, uh, hi, I'm John. What's your name? And you just say what it is. And, uh, and again, you're, you're kind of wanting to engage with this person because you have to. But you notice that as he's talking to you, he's not looking at you. His eyes are darting all over the aircraft. And you wonder, okay, maybe it's just not his first time flying. Maybe he's a fugitive running from the law. And he's waiting for the authorities to come on board. And you're like, what in the world am I sitting next to right now? Well, eventually he says, so what brings you to Los Angeles? And you go, um, you know, I have a friend there who's going to show me the sights. You? And he says, oh, I'm running from God. Well, now you've gone from thinking he's a first-time flyer to a fugitive to a crazy person. <laughs> and now you're sitting next to somebody completely out of his mind. And you just wonder how much worse it can get. And then he falls asleep and lays his head on your shoulder for the entire trip to California. <laughs> Believe it or not, this would be a 21st century version of the Jonah story. You see, God had a plan for Jonah. Jonah decided to do God's will the hard way. So we look at Jonah chapter 1. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, if you have an electronic Bible, the ESV. Jonah 1, starting at verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence 
of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go down with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the, car uh, the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Now Jonah responded to God's challenge by God's will, in a sense, by fleeing the scene. And I'm convinced that there are believers with us today who love the Lord, but they have fled emotionally or spiritually. They're in church on Sunday, but their hearts and minds may be very much elsewhere. In other words, we may be making this will of God thing harder than it needs to be. My message this morning is titled, To Flee or Not to Flee. So here's my contention this morning. I believe that when we flee from the Lord and his instruction, his will, we make God's will harder than it needs to be. When we decide to flee, we make God's will harder than it's supposed to be. Now, you might be asking about this whole fleeing thing and what that looks like. Well, that's exactly the direction I'm going to go. We're going to answer three questions about that very quickly this morning. Question one, what causes a believer to flee? Now, keep in mind, I'm saying believer. Everybody get that? Believer. You've given your life to Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about those who are unsaved. Well, it begins, number one, with the fact that God brings a word to us because we're doing this life thing with him. God brings a word to us. Folks, can I just stop and say, as believers in Christ, we have a wonderful blessing to receive communication from Almighty God. And may we never take that for granted. Verse 1 says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. In other words, we do have a relationship with him. Someone who doesn't know God or serve him is not really interested in what he has to say. Jonah is one of his. And isn't it great? We love and serve a God who speaks to us in so many different ways. You know, back in the Old Testament, the Lord would appoint certain spokespeople through whom he would speak. And here at this time, Jonah was going to be one of those people, one of God's prophets who would speak on God's behalf. But folks, today, today, because of the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, we can all boldly approach the throne of grace. All the partitions and walls are destroyed. We have access to Almighty God, and that means he has direct access to us. We also have his written word. Aren't you thankful for the word of God? It serves as our authoritative rule of faith and conduct. Folks, it is the standard by which we live. 
And can I remind this audience that it doesn't change. Popular culture does not determine our life and behavior. Public opinion does not determine our life and our behavior. Because the word of God stands and is what it is. It is immovable and it is perfect. It's food for our soul. It's our sustenance. All we have to do is to take it in and we can be ready for whatever life brings our way. So speaking of flights, one time I was going to take one from Kansas City to Columbus, Ohio. And I was returning from a conference and it was a beautiful day to travel. And I was going on uh, one of these kind of discount airlines that no longer exists. And uh, Columbus was one of their hubs. And so the airfare was pretty cheap. And you got on board. And you didn't only just have a row to yourself. You had a section to yourself. And I thought, they're not going to be open much longer. I better enjoy this. And I had all this space around me. So I put stuff on the seat next to me. And I knew it was going to be a nice kind of cozy flight. And I kind of settled in. And uh, the flight attendant is going through the pre-flight instructions, and I, of course, am not listening to those instructions. Right? Am I just the only one here? Right? You're like, oh, what's in this magazine? Oh, look, shoes that light up. Oh, that's all lovely. You know, you're, you're somewhere else. And like, flotation, we'll drop down, and okay, let's go, let's go. So the flight takes off, and we're doing our thing. Again, it's a gorgeous day. And in the middle of this thing, with no warning whatsoever, the plane drops 50 to 100 feet. <laughs> and all the stuff in the seat next to me goes scattering onto the floor. If you've ever been in a situation like that on a plane, you probably did what I did. I looked at the flight attendants. Because I want to see if they're freaked out, right? Because they're the experts, right? <laughs> They've seen everything. And I know if they're not freaked out, I'm okay. And you know what? They were kind of freaked out. And now I'm starting to panic. And I'm like, I'm like can we go through those pre-flight instructions again? And if we're not bringing the word of God into our life, that's kind of how we're going to like fall victim to things. Because the Lord has given us all the information that we need. He's given us so much if we will just receive it and do it and, and fully take it into our lives. It's a wonderful way that God speaks to us. We also have the Holy Spirit who takes residence within us. And he is speaking to us and he accompanies us in our journey. He leads us into all truth as Jesus said. He's prompting us through our day. He is encouraging us, convicting us, speaking to us according to his word. This is one of the benefits of coming to a church service like this. Because when the word of God is being preached, the Holy Spirit can take something that's said from the pulpit and, and individualize it. So there could be hundreds of messages going on in one room. I had a woman come up to me a long time ago after a, a message that I preached, and she said, Pastor, that was some message. I tell you, what you had to say about gambling, that was powerful. You know the word gambling never came out of my mouth? Why? Because the Holy Spirit took the spoken word and individualized it, because that's what the Holy Spirit does. Isn't that fantastic? 
What a wonderful benefit that we have in, in this wonderful life that God's given us. These are all benefits of surrendering our lives to Jesus Christ, giving him complete control. So God brings a word to us. Now, very quickly, secondly, maybe it's specifically this. God may command us to do something. If you've been a Christian more than five minutes, you know that in our walk with the Lord, he will at some point ask us to do something we've never done before. Don't we just love those moments, folks? Oh, don't we just relish it? If you're like me, I do not like doing things for the first time. And so I avoid those situations as much as I can. But God will present a challenge. He gives us a test that he knows we can pass. He tells Jonah, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. This is the challenge. And likewise, the Lord will ask us to do things we have never done before because he wants us to grow. He might ask you to lead a small group or attend a small group. And you might be like, no, I'm not one of those people. I'll just sit in the living room and sit in the car. Maybe we want you to teach a class. Oh, I know. I was really interested in what I have to say. But he's going to present challenges, things to us that he knows we can do. Saints, can you hear that? When he's presenting something to you, it's not some sort of trap. He's not trying to sucker you into something. He knows you can do this. And he has anointed you to do the very service that you're doing. Trust in him. He commands us to do something. Or he may command us to eliminate something. This is another thing that we don't like so much. You know, there's a $5 word that we use in church a lot of times. And the word is sanctification. It's a big, wonderful vocabulary word. And we might end up saying, folks, aren't you glad you're sanctified today? And we all be like, hmm, yes. We're like, what does that mean? I don't know. I know it's good, though. It's a good thing. It's good. You know, very quickly, sanctification has two aspects to it. Number one, there's an instantaneous thing that when you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, that when you decide to hand over control of your life to the Lord, folks, at that moment, you are sanctified. Grab onto this, please. Because a lot of us in the room, we don't feel sanctified. But can I just tell you, it's not about how you feel. It's about what you have faith to believe. And the work of Jesus is so much greater than my works of sin. And so when I say, yes, Lord, I am yours, I am sanctified in Jesus' name. I have been set apart. And now when, when God looks upon me, all he can see is the innocence of his son. But yet there is secondly a progressive part of sanctification where day by day now he's working on us and he's going to make us more like him. That means this. At some point in our journey, the Holy Spirit, not a preacher, not anybody else. The Holy Spirit will say, hey, you know that thing? You know that thing that you've loved so much? You don't need that anymore. 
What's he doing? He's giving us an idol that we need to smash. We don't enjoy that. Because we love our little idol. Oh, he's so, you know, part of us. Look at it. So eternal. And we can't imagine life without it. But the Lord doesn't want anything to come between him and us. And so in his timing, not in my timing, not in anyone else's timing, in his timing, he says, you know what? It's time to let it go. Because he knows what's on the other side of that when we finally smash that thing. But can we do it? Well, if we flee, it means, fourthly, we decide we're not going to do it. This is how the fleeing begins. And I put quotes around that word decide. Because we, we probably won't be like, no, God. <laughs> you know, we turn into a two-year-old suddenly. No. But internally, in, in every other way, we're going, no. And we're like, um, hmm, what? I don't, huh? Let me check my fantasy team. You know what I mean? And we just like, woo we just like, distraction. And we decide not to do it. Maybe we're just too afraid to trust God in the challenge, or we love our idol so much that we can't let it go. We ignore the voice of God, and we stay where we're comfortable. Verse 3 says, but Jonah rose to flee. God said, arise and go to Nineveh. Well, we rise to flee. I mean, we get the arise part correct, but then we go kind of in the wrong direction after that. Physically, we can look all there as Christians, but we're really fleeing. Maybe we're afraid of failure or making a fool out of ourselves. We can't imagine life without our precious idol that we turn to for instant comfort and safety instead of the Lord. That's fleeing the scene. So let me ask, if we flee, is God's will thwarted? Oh, my friends, that's a big no if you're scoring at home. Because one thing I found in life is that when I'm fleeing, God doesn't sit back and go, aw, doggone it, maybe next time. So question number two asks, what happens when we flee? So what occurs? First, we distance ourselves from God. Back to verse 3. Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. All right, so what's the big deal? What's the big deal with all this Tarshish stuff? I feel like your dentures slipped every time you say that word. Jonah physically flees the scene. He heads down to Joppa, the Hopkins International Airport of its day. And he books a ship going to Tarshish. Again, what's the big deal? Many experts believe Tarshish was in present day Spain. 2,500 miles away. This guy was jumping continents to get out of this thing. The Lord wanted him to go about 550 miles northeast. Jonah pulls a go west young man almost five times as far. 
This is kind of like somebody just saying, you know what? Uh, I hear Greenland is really nice this time of year. That's distance. Well, how about us? I, I know we're not hopping a ship for Istanbul or anything like that, but maybe we don't meet with God like we used to. And, and if we do, it's sporadic and rare. And even when it does happen, it's really shallow. And Christianity just turns into a checklist. I mean, we read the Bible, but we don't allow it to read us. We're not really interested in his voice because we already kind of know what he's saying. So we just spiritually and emotionally distance ourselves. I mean, we'll, we'll use phrases like, yeah, man, I'm just like really busy right now. Or, I don't know, it's hard to worship at home, you know, when I'm not at church with the band and everything. It's, really, it's just hard for me. I don't know. But see, that's not really the issue. The problem is we're on a one-way ticket to Tarshish. We're not obeying the Lord. And by the way, how ridiculous to think we can get away from the Lord. I mean, he forgot the words of David in Psalm 139. Where shall I go from your spirit? Oh, where shall I flee from your presence? That's a rhetorical question right there. But we distance ourselves from God when we flee. Secondly, we pay unnecessary costs. Verse 3 says, he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. Watch this. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish. You see, when we flee, we pay a price. And again, you're like, yeah, man, spiritually, it's, yeah, there's a price. Yeah, we pay a price emotionally. Yeah, mm -hmm, sure. But it's usually literal. We spend time, effort, and, and talent, but it's, it's funny how fleeing God usually has a literal price tag to it. We spend money on our fleeing. Jonah spent money he didn't need to in an effort to flee from God's presence. The third thing we do is we lie to ourselves, especially if this gets prolonged. This can start to become a little dangerous in the life of a believer. When we disobey the Lord and then we start heaping layers of lies on top of the disobedience, it can lead to some horrible decisions. And to ourselves, we're thinking, look, man, this is just my deal. It's just my problem. I'm not hurting anybody. It's a private thing. But here's how self-deceptive Jonah had become by verse 5. Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. Jonah had told himself he was safe from God's direction. Phew, got away with it. I can't believe it. This is how addictions set in. This is how affairs occur. This is how things are done that can't be undone. There is no one we lie to more than ourselves. And self-deception 
is basically doing the enemy's work for him. And then fourthly, we bring others into our mess. This was not Jonah's intent. And I'll say that on his behalf. But it is happening. Because verse 4 tells us there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And watch this. They hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. Let me talk to you about one-car accidents. One morning, uh, I live in the Cleveland area, and I needed to head up to the interstate for a meeting about 40, 45 minutes away. And things were moving along great. Three lanes of interstate traffic were suddenly, though, halted, and we just stayed put. And we remained there for about 15 to 20 minutes. And so he knew something had happened up ahead. And eventually they started to let cars kind of eke their way through. And only then, when I got up there, did I realize it was just one car driving in the left lane. And however it happened, he had just veered a little bit to the left and hit a retaining wall in the center. Now, he, he was fine. But that one little affected a lot of people. I don't think that morning, I don't think that guy driving that car woke up that morning going, you know what I'm going to do? <laughs> I'm going to make tens of thousands of people late for work. That would be awesome. No, that wasn't his intent whatsoever. You see, the enemy keeps trying to tell us it's just us. But you see, if you and I have a one-car accident, it affects a lot of people. Even the people who are nearest to us. See if you've found this out in your life. When you're not where you should be, the people who are closest to you kind of know it. I mean, they, don't, they may not know specifics unless they have some sort of prophetic word, but they're just like, hmm, something's not right. And they just know that. And so now they're investing time and energy into, God, whatever's going on with Matt right now, right? I appreciate that. But now I'm making them spend time on me unnecessarily. That's the very least of what happens when we start to flee from the Lord. You see, even my private sin affects other people. The enemy doesn't want us to know this. But Jonah had brought about a storm that scared veteran sailors to death and caused them to throw all their cargo overboard. And if we persist, heaven forbid, the worst may happen. You know what the worst is? God might leave us alone. That's the worst. I heard somebody describe it this way, that the wrath of God isn't this. It's more like this. The writer Oscar Wilde once wrote, there are two great tragedies in life, not getting what you want and getting what you want. If we're not with God, heaven help us that we never get what we want. 
So now Jonah is suddenly in the storm of his life. But thankfully, there's a third question to answer, and it is, how do we get back? If we've been fleeing, and maybe throughout this message, you've been thinking about a word that God spoke at some point, and you just kind of in your own way went, hmm, nah. And maybe you've even been wondering, why in the world, why am I just hitting my head against the wall so much spiritually? This might be it. So how do we get back? Well, Jonah doesn't seem to be listening to God very much at the moment. So God works through a weather system and a ship's captain to get his attention. Verse 6, so the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. How do we get back? First, we arise. We'll do exactly what the captain said. We arise, and we recognize that God is trying to get our attention. Verse 4 says, but the Lord, catch this word, hurled. Now, if I were doing youth ministry right now, I'd be like, yeah, man, he totally hurled. I don't know what was going on. <laughs> but since I'm not doing youth ministry, I won't say that. God hurled a great wind upon the sea. And that word right there, hurled in Hebrew, means to cast and throw like a spear. This is a fastball from the Lord right down the middle of the plate. Ready, aim, fire. He knew what he was doing. Okay, now I know a lot of us, we find passages like this troubling because we always want to See, God is the sweet old grandpa who always gives us candy. And yes, God is love, my friend. But that love is a holy, jealous love that will not permit other lovers in our life. Why? Because he's insecure and controlling? No. Because he made us, because he invested in us, because he gave his son for us. He refuses to sit back and allow some stupid habit to steal away everything he has invested. He won't do it. That's called the love of God. He loves us too much to sit back and allow us to ruin ourselves. Parents, come on, you know this. This is why it's so hard to be a parent. You have to spend most, you know, for the better part of 20 years maybe not being liked. Right? And, and you have to tell your kid, no, no, we can't, no. Mm -mm. And like, oh, what? Oh, you know. And they might even even go as far and do the I hate you thing, right? right? But if you do this long enough, parents, right, don't you just kind of roll your eyes? Okay, great. You enjoy that. <laughs> enjoy the hate. Why do you do that? Because you don't want them turning into monsters when they're 30. That's why you do it. Why do you think the Lord does what he does in our life? Because he wants us to become his children of God who have been refined in the fire, who have been tested and tried, but stand pure and holy. This is what he is trying to do in spite of our whining sometimes to him. 
And there are people that God wants to reach through us that maybe nobody else can. And that whole send somebody else argument doesn't ever seem to work with him. There is something God is up to, and we are involved. And then we, very quickly, secondly, we call out to God. We acknowledge he is God and we're not. A, once, a great definition I once heard of sin is man's attempt to be God. And folks, we make a terrible God. Just put us in charge for 10 minutes and watch the destruction take place. He's God. We're not. So call out to him as God and Lord. Because we have called on ourselves long enough. In verse 12, Jonah says to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Same word. Hurl. Hurl me <laughs> into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. We need to confess our sin, own up to the mess that we're making. God, this is, this is all me right here. Even if that mess only involves me at this point. This is my fault. I wanted my way, and I behaved like a spoiled child. That's a good start. Thirdly, we give up control. Again, here's our favorite thing to do. Oh, there's no kind of altar call like, who wants to give up control today? And they just line up, don't they? You're like, hmm, yes. But we need to fully embrace this if we are going to be even reasonably content as Christians. Verse 15 says, so they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And you thought your cruise was bad. Jonah knows the only way for these men to be safe is by getting off the ship. And by that, we don't mean gently placed into the water. It's really, uh, it comes down to this. You know what this is? These are the sailors going, and a one, and a two. Right? That's what's happening. He was being tossed like a beanbag in cornhole. And you know the funny part? I don't see the crew fighting him on this, by the way. He's saying, you know what? You need to throw me in the sea. Yeah, that's a good idea. I got his ankles. Who's got his wrists? He's pretty noble here, Jonah is. And he knows it might be over for him. But he's done playing God. And the seas were immediately calm. And the men on the ship ended up worshiping God as a result. Folks, even our delayed obedience can still have an effect on other people. It is never too late to make a good choice. And lastly, if we want to get back, we trust. Verse 17, catch one more word. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Yep, Jonah had made this harder than it needed to be. And he must have been quite a ways from shore 
to have been inside the fish for three days before they got to land. But Jonah had thought he controlled everything to this point, and it led to disaster. He gave up control, he trusted, and God rescued. I want you to understand this morning, that same God who sometimes hurls also appoints. Same God. God appointed a fish to swallow and protect Jonah. In the King James, the word here is prepared a fish. That Hebrew there word means to assign. Think about it for a moment. We serve a God who commands it all. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And he has the ability to pick out a gigantic sea creature and say, you, over here. Folks, remember, we serve a God who appoints, who orchestrates nature and the animal kingdom and economics so that his purpose through us might be accomplished. As the team returns, I want to tell you about a one-car accident that I had. About uh, seven months ago, something kind of culminated in my life. You see, growing up in a dysfunctional home, often uh, food was kind of the place that I went to for safety and for comfort as a kid. And if you look at my childhood pictures, you, you can see me, especially third grade and on. I just started like gaining weight. And it just became an issue for life, you know, and there were wins and losses, a lot more losses. <laughs> that culminated this past February when uh, one night I had a heart attack. Um, the word major was used, which is always great to hear. And I had, uh, I had gone to my city hospital, and within 30 minutes, uh, I was on a helicopter being flown to the downtown campus of the Cleveland Clinic. So I got a little helicopter ride, so I can scratch that off my bucket list right there. It's very overrated, by the way, just let you know. And they performed an emergency catheterization, put a couple stints in me. They wheeled me into recovery in the ICU. That's when they informed me, oh, and... You're also type 2 diabetic. And I left the room, and there I laid. And I never felt more like a failure in my entire life. And you, you think about all the chances that you had to better yourself and all the ways you could have just done a lot of things better. I'm not saying God sent the heart attack, by the way. I think I sent me the heart attack. But there I was in this moment of supreme failure, feeling like I had really wasted so much. But the Lord in his goodness began to appoint. He began to appoint people from all over the place. People were sending me texts and messages of encouragement and scriptures. People bringing food over. Some folks like sent money. 
There was one retired woman from Akron. She had a handwritten letter in an envelope with a $1 bill. And if that don't mess you up, nothing will. God appointed people that I had not talked to in over 30 years. You know, Mac, the Lord was just kind of speaking to me and my board, and we wanted to do this. Blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? And in that moment when I felt like I really failed, the Lord said, nothing's changed. You planned me. Just let me just start appointing you. Maybe you've been fleeing. I mean, you know that's not working out, right? You, you really have to admit that. Maybe you just feel like such a failure. Maybe you've, you've had a one-car accident. You thought it was just going to be you, but now it became fodder on social media. You don't even want to show your face. May I tell you that the God who hurls also appoints. He wants to appoint people and situations in your life to remind you that you are still his child. Just come back, come back to the word. Come back to that word that he spoke to you because he has something grand for you in that. And because Jonah finally obeyed, an entire city, if not a nation, was saved. You just don't know. But would you let God start appointing? I try to appoint everything myself. It didn't work out. The Lord is here to say, enough with the fleeing, come on. Don't you think that I only have good for you? And he does. So as you bow your heads this morning, I do want to ask in this room, if there's anyone in the room who doesn't know Jesus, you've never handed your life over to him. I don't care what church you grew up in. I don't care what ceremony you went through. I mean, you've never actually made a decision that says, Lord, I'm yours. You're God, I'm not. And only you can forgive me. Right where you sit at this moment, you can whisper a prayer to the Lord saying, Jesus, I need you. Only you can save me. Only you can rescue me. I reach out to you, Jesus. Save me. Give me a new life. And my friend, he will do it right then and there. I pray you reach out to him and then tell someone what you did. Believers, are you fleeing? Maybe nobody knows. To everybody else, you look like you got it all together, right? Still showing up on Sunday, still doing your thing involved in ministry but you know there's a word that God gave that you passed on we're going to give you an opportunity right now to say 
God, I'm sorry. Believer, would you do that right where you're seated? And just tell him, God, I'm sorry. I'm just so sorry. Sorry for fleeing. I know you only have good for me. Jesus, I'm coming back to that word that you spoke. Whether it's to get rid of an idol or to take a step of faith and challenge, Lord, I will do it. I will do it. And with your love guiding me, you will be glorified. In order to seal this time, the band's going to lead us in a song. I think it's basically the prayer of Jonah inside the fish or maybe even inside the ship when he recognized all that had happened and all that he had caused and the Lord receives it and maybe this is the cry of your heart today and if you need to come back from the fleeing and just be back in his presence again I would invite you to sing this with the band and make this your dedication to him. I'm sorry I'm not just gone through the motions I'm sorry I'm not just saying another song Won't take me back to where we started I open up my heart to you And I'm sorry When I've come with my agenda I'm sorry And I forgot that you're enough Will take me back to where we started I open up my heart to you. Caught up in your presence. I just wanna sit here at your feet. I'm caught up in this holy.
put those steps, that, that slide of the, uh, the steps of how we respond? The last one was trust. I know that. So this is our response, right? And it'd be easy to just walk out the door. And I could see where this morning, most of us, our response is just right where we're at. But there's also the altar team, our friends, our family, around on the, on the sides. If you, need to, if you need to respond, if you're like, I, I can't do this on my own or I want to stand in for somebody, they're here to pray with you. You see those responses up there? Arise. Call out to God. Give up control and trust. Amen? God, we, uh, we trust you. And God, we as a church say that we're sorry when we've come with our agenda. Sorry when I've come with my song list, but what I wanted to do, God. And what's the context for you? God, we worship you and I just feel like we're supposed to repent on behalf of the the Pentecostal church who so many times, you know, it's good to be excited and we want to jump around and we want to have the joy of the Lord and excitement, but sometimes we skip this step. God, we just repent on behalf of the Pentecostal church. If we've skipped those steps, God, help us to be a church in this nation that is full of your joy and full of the gifts of your spirit, but does, does not skip repentance. So here's how we're going to close this out. We're going to sing this song again. We're going to give you an opportunity to respond. And as we sing, you are dismissed, church. I just speak a blessing over this, this family, this family of believers, these amazing friends that I get to be a part of, that it's such an honor. I think of the joy I get just to be a part of this family. And God, I speak joy over this, this household today. I speak true healing over this household. I speak true repentance over this household. And I speak the oil of gladness and joy over this house as we worship you because you are worthy of all of our praise. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. You're dismissed and the altar teams are right on the sides, guys.
good church he's good in the dancing and the joy and he's also good in the sorrow he's good through the trial he's good through the storm he's good through it all church that's who our God is amen be blessed and we will see you next Sunday